I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your host, Greg Scordis, filling in today for Boyd Matheson. Um, I read another interesting article in preparation for the show today from a man who is joining us, uh, Chris Miller. Uh, Chris is a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and he writes an article in in relation to the U.S. and Russia talks that are currently going on. And if uh, you're not up to speed, um, as recently as yesterday, uh, the U.S. and and Russia had security talks over Russia's military buildup along the Ukrainian border, among other issues. Uh, but no progress has been made. Uh, Russia continues to deny uh, that it has any plans to invade, notwithstanding that there's some significant military buildup there. And so far, the, U- the United States strategy has been to threaten sanctions, but neither side is really getting anywhere. Uh, I'm not sure whether this strategy is working or sort of where we're going. Uh, I think that the conversation would be different. We may digress into this a little bit if it, we were talking about the United States and uh, China, uh, but we're talking about the United States and Russia. Um, uh, Chris, uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, why is it that you think that uh, Russia isn't deterred by our threat of sanctions? Well, there are two things to look at. The, the first is whether people outside of the Kremlin expect sanctions to be imposed. And if you look, for example, at the value of Russia's currency, the ruble, or the value of the Russian stock market, none of them have shown any downward trend in recent weeks, despite the Biden administration having said it's going to impose sanctions. And you would expect that if people believed sanctions were coming, they wouldn't want to hold on to Russian stocks or the Russian ruble. They'd buy something else instead. And yet that, that hasn't been happening. The second thing is that Putin doesn't try to focus on maximizing the size of Russia's economy. He's not primarily interested in living standards. He's interested in making Russia a great power on the world stage and focused in using his military to achieve that. And so economic sanctions are a tough tool to use against someone who's not primarily focused on economic outcomes. Are there sanctions that make more sense in your uh, studies of U.S.-Russia relationships that might that might get his attention? Well, the challenge the U.S. faces is that the sanctions that would hurt Russia the most are uh, sanctions that would impact the two products that Russia sells abroad, oil and natural gas. Uh, And for the U.S., as well as for our allies in Europe, we rely on Russian oil and Russian natural gas to run our economies. And so there's not much appetite in the U.S. or in Europe for sanctioning either of these energy commodities. And beyond that, Russia doesn't export all that much. It's an economy that's dependent on hydrocarbons. But if you're not willing to hit energy exports, and few American leaders are, then it's hard to 
uh, really hit hard an economy that relies only on oil and only on gas. Um, some years ago, and we're joined uh, this afternoon uh, by Chris Miller, uh, there were sanctions imposed against Russia when they took over Crimea. Um, does that set a standard? Is that something that we can look back on and say, well, this is what did worked or didn't work in the past? Or was that something that, that was just a bad example? Yeah, I think it's hard to argue that the sanctions the U.S. imposed in 2014 were, were particularly successful. If you look at what they were trying to do, they were trying to get Russia out of Ukraine, and Russia is uh, still occupying two large chunks of Ukrainian territory. I think the problem in 2014 was that although those were relatively big sanctions by comparison to what the U.S. had previously imposed on any other country, for Russia, they just weren't painful enough to change Putin's calculus. It just didn't really matter. And for someone like Putin, who doesn't really care about the average Russian's living standards, Russians have gotten poorer um, for most of the years of the past decade, yet no one really minds in Russia. Uh, Sanctions alone are probably not enough to really decisively change their calculus and the way they think about international politics. Apparently, uh, the Ukraine has shown some interest in uh, becoming a NATO partner, and I suppose Russia, understandably, uh, doesn't want that as a next-door neighbor. Um, Is that really the impetus behind Russia's build-up there, or is there something else going on? I think that's part of what's going on. The first thing to say is that although Ukraine would like to join NATO, NATO right now uh, isn't ready uh, for Ukraine to join. Uh, If Ukraine wanted to join, there'd be a long process of Ukraine reforming its military and reforming its government so it would reach NATO standards. So we're talking about at least a decade of work before Ukraine would ever be allowed to join. It'd have to show that it brought something meaningful to the table. Um, But Russia, nevertheless, is worried about this longer-term scenario. They're they're also worried, though, about the short-term. And the short-term is that the U.S. and European allies have been trying to help Ukraine in other ways stand up to Russian bullying over the past seven years. And Russia doesn't like that we're helping them because Russia would rather face Ukraine one-on-one, where, since Ukraine's a lot smaller than Russia, Russia would be uh, more able to get what it wants, put pressure on Ukraine, force Ukraine to accept Russian conditions. And that's ultimately what the Russians are unhappy about. They think that Ukraine ought to follow their instructions, and Ukrainians don't agree, and, and the U.S. And, and European allies have been trying to help the Ukrainians build the power they need to stand up to Russia. What's in it for the West? What's in it for the U.S. and, and the other members of NATO to protect the, the Ukraine? I mean, besides we're trying to protect the little guy against the bully, but is there something else going on there that we have a special interest in the Ukraine? Well, I think we've got a really strong interest in not seeing a large-scale war in Europe, and we've got a really strong interest uh, in not letting Russia uh, reestablish itself as a dominant power in Europe. It's it's not really just about Ukraine. Uh, U- Ukraine is a country of 40 million people. It's not a small country in its own right, but it's much more broadly about what are the rules that govern Europe and what are the rules that govern international politics more broadly. And if you let Russia bully its way into forcing Ukraine to submit, I think there's no real reason to suspect this will be the last instance of bullying. And the lesson of history, I think, is that if you let a bully go, they're going to find new targets to bully after they uh, have one successful uh, case of bullying. And, and the Russians have shown that over the past couple of years. In the two decades Putin's been in power, his appetite has only grown as his strength has grown. And the U.S. hasn't found ways to stand up to him. 
Chris Miller, thank you for joining us this afternoon. I wish we could spend a little more time on this. Uh, for those of you that do have a little time, you should look up this article that he wrote. It's really very well written. Uh, Russia thinks America is bluffing to deter a Ukraine invasion. Washington's threats need to be tougher. Uh, published by Chris Miller, or written by Chris Miller just a day or two ago. Um, when we come back after the break, uh, we may be logging into a uh, national uh, statement by our president. There seems to be some movement nationally to maybe take a second look at the filibuster and our president may be weighing in on that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.